take whatever kind of cheesy purpose line a, a company has, right? But in the in the end, when you come to the day-to-day nitty-gritty of operating and delivering value, like stuff needs to happen. Welcome to Marketing Unfucked, the only podcast that helps you unfuck your marketing by hosting conversations with all the badasses in this industry. We are your hosts, Siobhan and Russell. And today we are joined by Rick Dronkers as we discuss data processes and how humans are important to data. Let's do this. We can't wait to start the conversation with you. My co-host today is Russell and I'm Siobhan. So let's get started. I'll start with the first question that everyone asks. How do we unfuck marketing or in our case, marketing analytics? How do we unfuck marketing analytics? That is the million dollar question. And uh, I think uh, we're going to need a longer podcast. So (laughs) I named my company Data to Value, I think for this reason. In my opinion, the loop from turning data into actual value is not often completed. And I think that's the main topic which we need to unfuck. So in the end, an idea is worth nothing, right? We, you could read all the books in the world. You could become the smartest person in the world. But if you don't turn that into something, right? You don't act upon that, all that knowledge you've acquired, then nothing changes, right? The, then it's all theoretical. And I think that's what's going on at a lot of companies when it comes to the way we handle data collection. We're like little hamsters trying to get more data. We're super enthusiastic about new tools, new technology, silver bullets, and we keep collecting it and expanding on it. And we don't want to give up the data that we have and we fear change and we we dread change of tools, right? Google Analytics 3 to Google Analytics 4, your data model will change. People freak out. But we forget to actually turn that data into value. So Rick, what stage is the main issue? Like if you had to pick one part of that flow, because there are many stages from even planning what data you want to capture, which is even before what you mentioned previously, all the way through to value, what point is the most fucked? Because they're fucked across the way. (laughs) As in, which one are we talking about today? (laughs) We're talking about all of them, but I think think the... I think there's a common thread across all of them, and that's the us humans. So we're the issue, right? We're 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 creating this problem, and I I think it's our understanding or our we we seem to have this framework that if we get more data points, and this is not just about digital analytics or marketing; it's about life. If we get more input, that we can somehow control what's going on around us. Right, that we can control the uncontrollable. And I think this is probably just like biological survival mechanism kind of stuff, low-level uh, brain wiring. But I think this is the main issue. And there's so much being offered. Like if you look at the amount of vendors out there, like technology vendors, and then they're all, of course, pushed by a lot of uh, venture capital money. And they're all showcasing to all these let's keep it at marketing analytics to all these marketing managers and marketing directors and CMOs, like by our technology, you will get this amazing data insights, which will, you know, do X. And it, it's all appealing to this part of the brain where we, we want to buy the solution that gives us, that gives us control over the uncontrollable. So I think acknowledging that 
and accepting the, that a lot of it is uncontrollable, right? And taking a step back and then figuring out all those steps that you mentioned, right? So all the steps from basically a piece of data to generating value. But first taking that step back and acknowledging like, okay, we have the, we have the need to decrease our uncertainty. That's just in us. But now let's try to be, let's try to live with that uh, uncertainty a bit and then try to make rational decisions based upon that and then start looking at data and how we can use data and turn it into value. But how do you go about that with like, let's say your clients or people you're talking to? Because we have been told over and over again, right? That the more data we have, the more in control we are. Yeah. And this is essentially what's wired into us at this point. So how do you go about trying to explain to someone that that's actually not the case at all, or sometimes even the opposite? Yeah. And I would even add to that, like also, if you don't collect the data now, like the data you collect now might be valuable in the future. That's also, you know, that's also being yeah. used to, to, to sell it to you. Well, so th this is theory, right? Because in practice, of course, in a lot of cases, I have to admit defeat and just help my clients implement more data, right? So let's get that out of the way. Uh, but in like, the, I think the question to ask is, Let's say I get you this piece of data. What action will you take today based upon that data? And because in a, in, a, in a lot of times what we're doing is we're, we're supplementing a report. So th then the report gets bigger or more ex extensive. And then more people look at the report. And usually the boss looks at the report, right? That's why the new data needs to get in. But nobody's actually going to take a specific action. And I think if you cannot really define the specific action, like, okay, if we get this piece of data, then our email marketer will take that data and they will change the way they send out the email today and create an experiment, version A, version B, whatever, and see if they can influence that piece of data. Once you got that loop, then I think, you know, it makes sense. Then you can evaluate like, okay, is it worth it, right? Because then you can figure out the email makes us this amount of money. The change costs us this amount of money. Is it worth it to do it? But if they cannot specify this flow, then I think in most cases, we're just trying to help them get fake, the feeling of control over the uncontrollable, basically. Yeah, and I think the, the way that I've spoken to brands about this for a decade now is like, where are the levers that you can pull on that drive change? But the problem with that is that one of the first questions they're asked are like way too high level or they're very basic. So it's like, how many sales did we make yesterday is the number that someone in the business wants to know. And even if you answer that question, which within a dashboard or report is reasonably easy to get to, no matter what technology vendor stack you're using, if you answer that question, then there should always be three or four follow-up questions before you even get to a lever where you can make a change. And I think one of the issues we have as an industry is that the bit between the first question that you have to drill out of that person to stop asking is the really basic one. And actually, you need to go four or five levels deeper. But that process is one of the hardest things to instill because that's a culture or a sort of, sort of a psychological shift in, in the change of the ways of working because those people over the last 20 years have been drilled into them from a marketing perspective is if I don't have a dashboard that answers that top level question, I can't do my job, 
versus, well, actually, your job is to find those levers and make those changes. And it's a massive disconnect at the moment. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, definitely. I think I think the word the word process that that's usually missing, right? Like, I think process is, is one of the hardest things to create. Technology relatively easily, right? Especially when money is cheap, people can buy technology. They have investors. They have a big budget. It's it's easier to just go and buy GA three sixty than it is to set up a a solid process in your organization on how you're going to use the data from GA360 to optimize. Because that, that that takes people, right? The right people, which are also hard to find. And then making them work together, which is even harder, in my opinion. Right? Te- technology, you can tell it, you can usually tell it what to do. Of course, there, you know, there's some debugging going on and some, some, some fixing some issues, but then it should do what you ask it to do. But people working together, that's a whole other ballgame. And I think that's, we tend to go where there's least friction and buying technology is least friction, right? Get your credit card out and get the, get the JavaScript snippet on your site and, uh, and it's up and running. So I think that's a lot of what's going on. But then how do we get there? Like, how do we get to this? You know, I mean, we all, all three of us work in a very similar field. So we're always thinking about these things. But how do we get to the point where the process and the people behind things are actually more important than the technology? Because it is really hard for any one of us three to talk to anybody and say the technology is really not that important. Just like we say all that data is not that important because it's this fear of missing out, right? So how can we actually take that step or how can a CMO take that step to focus more on the process and the person? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think a part of it will sort itself out, right? In a sense of we've been... Everything has been on, going upwards, right? The trajectory has been going up and to the right from an economic point of view. And that also means that a lot of our clients, like regardless of what we have done with data, they, they would have probably grown anyway, is my, is my main assumption right now. And I think once the economic um, outlooks change, as they seem to be doing right now, I think you're going to figure out prioritization becomes a real thing. And... CMOs will have to actually prioritize. Like you can right now, people are just throwing everything at a wall and seeing what sticks. And you can just keep doing it all because as long as you're growing, right, the, the investors are happy and everything keeps going up. So I think a lot of this will be filtered out by itself, so to say, like a survival of the fittest kind of way of thinking. I think if you intentionally want to do it, you have to start with 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 your goals, right, with where you want to end up. As a CMO of a company, you have to figure out like, okay, are we in a uncertain phase, right? So are we a startup without product market fit, so to say? Then you already know that, you know, you, you could use data to maybe lower the uncertainty a little bit by doing some research into your, your audience or some research into competitors or those kind of things. But you don't, you don't yet have something to test on. So data plays a different role in that phase. So then it becomes a question of, you know, what, what's the potential payoff of what you're trying to solve, right? If you are in a medical research business, but if you figure out the new cure for cancer, then the potential payoff, right, is, is so large that, you know, you, you might be able to spend uh, on it based upon your assumption of success. I think for most of us, we are not in that space, right? Because marketing does not really play a huge role in that space in my opinion. 
So usually there's already some form of product market fit. And then we're trying to optimize, right? So conversion rate optimization would, you know, would, would, would be in that space. And then for the more larger incumbent companies, so to say, it might be more on the automation side where, where data plays a role and where you know, machine learning comes in to scale up efforts. And I think you have to reason back from like, okay, in what space am I as a company? You know, am I trying to optimize my current product market fit or am I trying to scale out what we already have and try to reach as many people worldwide? And based upon that, you try to reason like, okay, this is what I can spend on this technology and then try to, you know, make that work. Something you said, Derek, I've seen a lot of over the last few years where businesses are going to be successful anyway. And we saw this with the companies that did well during COVID because of their product was right for the market as it was. But a lot of people are being found out to be quite shit at their jobs. And we see this, I see this a lot, especially like when I'm pitching to people and I'm like, oh, they're the questions you're going to ask me today, are they? Okay. And I think that what will happen over the next few years is people's experiences versus just the ability to have skills are going to have a lot more value and especially soft skills when it comes to how to actually communicate internally, how to manage meetings, how to understand that as a digital focused marketer or just as a marketer as a whole, because digital isn't really a thing in a lot of companies. It's just marketing. And I think that there are many talented marketers out there, even the, the newer ones onto the scene that are focused more in the social space. But I think there's a hell of a lot of people who are just riding on the coattails of the thing that was going to be successful anyway. You've seen this a little bit with the influencer space, and that has slowed down. But the people who were doing well were only doing well because the space was growing rapidly at that time. We saw this with social media marketing. When Facebook was performing very well, then that went down. We saw this early days with paid search. Tons of people made a ton of money. Then that slowed down. And we're going to see this through. So I think there is, as much as you started this by saying, there is a, the issue is mainly the people. You then also went, the solution is actually the people. And one of the things that I think is the overarching issue is that even though there is a lot of people coming into digital marketing or marketing as a whole, the majority of them are shit. Thoughts? I do feel like I, I agree that this all goes in waves, right? So, the, so the, what you notice about the, the PPC wave I used to work at an agency that got big on the PPC wave. So, I, you know, I saw that firsthand. Then, you know, the social media wave and, and, and this will likely continue. I think that's also a good thing because it gets, it gets people in who otherwise might not have gotten a chance in like the incumbent world, so to say. So, they, they, you know, they, get, they can figure out their, um, basically cheat their way, you know, to launch their, their uh, career, which, yeah, gives a lot of new new thinking in this in the space but i think there's also been there's there's been a lot of transfer of people from let's call it traditional marketing and communication right creating creating folders that have like information about products and stuff and th th there's a lot of jobs that has have transferred to digital where 
a lot of people have not, you know, they don't have the same like digital native incentive, you know, like they, they don't have that true feeling. It's just like they learned a new trick because they had to stay relevant for their job. But I think that will always be the case, right? You all, yeah, you, you always need a distribution of people. Like if everybody can be first, right? Because that, then that would defeat the whole concept of being first. So I think it will always be the case. And I'm not sure if it's a, if that's a, if that's a lagging factor on, on fucking it. I think the main, the main issue I see is, is top down. So like from a, from a leadership perspective, because the people you just described are usually not the people who can give the go ahead on buying a hundred thousand dollar software, right? But there are a lot of people buying hundred thousand dollar software just like they're just because they're super influenced by salespeople from that vendor and not because they like, they don't know the issue they're solving, but they do see, see the shiny new toy and they hope that it's the silver bullet for, you know, and they either they don't want to see the steps in between or, or they simply don't see them. But yeah, they need to, they need to hire the people and build the process before they purchase the technology, not the other way around. But then let's talk about that process a little bit, because I think we've talked about this now a lot, right? We're saying that essentially the people are the problem and it's a top-down problem for most people because they're the ones that can buy the product. But then, you know, and we can say build a process. We can say it needs to start with the people, or we can even say it needs to start with a goal. But I will, from personal experience, when I go to my client and say, what are you trying to get at? You know, when you're having a kickoff call and you're trying to understand the main objectives, they're lost already. Yeah. So then, you know, you, you start thinking like, how do you really go about this? How do I get to data to someone that they can action on Yeah. without them actually knowing their objective? Because currently, especially in e-commerce, right? I just want to make sales. Okay. It's an objective, but it's not telling you what the goal, what are you going to do with the data? Because you're not going to make sales with the data. There are a lot of in-between steps there. Yeah. So how do we get people to even start thinking about data and how that needs a goal for it to work for you? Uh, yeah, I, I totally recognize what you're saying. I, I've even like pissed off clients by asking like, okay, but you know, what, what, why are you trying to achieve that? Right. So then I was talking to like a mid-level manager and I tried to ask why, why do you, why are you actually trying to achieve that? And basically they didn't know just, be, you know, that was, it was. That was handed to them that they should achieve that, right? But there Finance. was no like clear uh, finance says we have to do sixty yeah. percent year on year. Where did they get yeah. that from? Their ads. Yeah, um, exactly. But but so I so I think that's that's a challenge, and I always think about okay, this is in theory what 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 it should be, and then there's practice, right? So in theory, you would have a well structured pyramid of like an overarching company mission maybe even right and then that 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 goes down all the way to the the specific metrics in at the bottom of the period pyramid that you can measure of course in practice that that pyramid never exists as a whole and it's always changing right so that's that's just a you know, reality is messy right and it's like what i said at the beginning everything is most of it is uncontrollable anyway so that's what we have to deal with but there's this great visualization from i forget his name but he was the founder, co-founder from Asana. And it's like this, what I just described, a pyramid of, of how you can basically chop up your mission into 
I think they use OKRs, right? So they have like all these different steps all the way down to the measurable and how it should balance each other. I think that's something that you want to strive for, right? You want to you wanna be able to figure out, okay, we're going to build this process together where we have a day-to-day job. So let's, let's take an e-commerce marketing department. You have an email marketing person, you have a social media marketing person and a paid search marketing person. Okay, we have a couple of goals, right? We want to improve the amount of traffic to the website. We want to in- increase the uh, conversion rate of that traffic. And maybe we have a retention goal, right? So we want to uh, improve the returning visitor or the returning purchase. Maybe those could be like really basic, simple ones without, you know, you don't even need like customer lifetime value stuff for that. Like those could be goals to work at. And then the process of setting it up, right? Is basically, okay, how are you going to keep yourself accountable? So what is going to be your weekly, monthly setup of these people working together, figuring out this is going to be my goal. I'm going to try to reach that by doing A, B, and C. So for the social media person, it could be, I want to use this new form of Facebook advertising that has been launched because I assume that it will, you know, get me more out of my budget. I want to try to do create this new landing page because I assume that, you know, it will increase these clicks. So that's how you define the projects. And in the end, you keep them accountable to those goals that you define. And that's the, the, the simplest form of a process is just doing that, having a platform like, like I just mentioned, Asana or whatever kind of other tool where you keep track of those things. And once you have that, then we can figure out, okay, we use these data points that we discussed, but maybe for what you're trying to do, we could figure out another couple of data points that might actually be like a, an indicator that will give you close, a a quicker feedback loop to what you're trying to do, right? So that's from that point onwards, you can expand and figure out like, hey, these are extra data points we can capture, or this is a more relevant data point for what you're trying to do. But then we're trying to make the data work for the process instead of the other way around. I had a client recently where I had to sort of double down and explain the difference between a success metric and a KPI purely by spelling out the acronym and going, this is an indicator of performance, and this is the key ones that you've picked, that is different to revenue. Revenue isn't a performance indicator. You need to look at the, and and realistically, performance indicators should be things, and going back to what I said earlier, like that you have a lever that could impact that. You don't really have a lever that has a direct correlation to revenue, because if you did, you'd do that. There are yeah. <laughs> there, there are many layers beneath that, but you probably have levers that directly impact conversion rate. Like a lot of the stuff that I know Siobhan does from a conversion optimization perspective, you have a lever that you can do for that. And then from a channels perspective, you can impact the revenue, which is the success metric, by adjusting all of the KPIs underneath paid search. And I think that going off of your point there, I think that's probably one of the areas that clients don't necessarily even get that from a fundamentals perspective when they're thinking about what they should be monitoring versus what they see as success. Yeah. Yeah, and 100% agreed. And I think the distinction between um, measuring your input and measuring the output is also really important and gets overlooked. So like, I'm, I don't work on the client side and I, I don't manage a team like that. But from what I've seen at clients is, it's really hard to keep your team accountable to 
a output metric, right? So to a, uh, not, not necessarily an outcome metric, sorry. So, you know, to keep the team accountable to a conversion rate, it's, it's pretty hard to do. Like it would be great, right? If they can actually do it, but it's, yeah, it's, it's not really feasible in a lot of cases. So it's, it's way more honest to create goals related to their output, right? So you are going to create, so let's say we want to, we want to, um, experiment on Facebook with different creative copy because we feel like, okay, we, we're reaching audience, but it's just not matching somehow, right? So that's the hypothesis. Okay. We want to test more copy. So then the, the output metric to test against would be simply, you know, we want to get 10 versions of copy in this period, week, month, whatever, uh, you know, how, how many resources you have. And that way, like you can translate it as a leader, you can translate it like, okay, this will eventually help my outcome metric of conversion rate, right? But the people that work on a day-to-day, like you can't hold them responsible for the conversion rate. Like if you want them to experiment and also to fail, right? Because you know, not be afraid to fail. You know, the, the bonus and the carry, uh, the, the carrot that you hold in front of them should be tied to yeah, their work. You know, this reminds me, like, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but this reminds me a lot of the, in the sustainability field specifically, they have um, a big thing that they do, which is bringing a purpose or, you know, ethical business in general, they have a purpose or a mission or a vision for the whole company. Right. And the way you described that we need a purpose for data, what's quite unique with companies like this, when I work with them, that they have that. They understand that. So let's say, for example, that's really privacy focused because it's something we all understand. They have a very clear purpose that the company is going to provide, let's say, privacy focused analytics. And what they do is everything that's going on in the company is being measured against that purpose. And as they develop the purpose, they're also deciding what are the impact measures for that purpose. So Essentially, what's happening is they have this process in space, right? So let's say it's privacy. So they don't want to collect too much data. They want to make sure there are no, you know, no personal information being collected anywhere. They want to be very transparent with everything. So every single person in that company is aligned with that purpose, including the data person. What is interesting is that we're still seeing a complete loss of what the data points should be. And I think this is why I wanted to dig into the process in the beginning, because I actually see the process, the, the purpose kind of led business quite a bit. I think that some of the disconnect might be that it's just people aren't understanding what data is supposed to do for them. And, and or they are scared that they're going to lose so much data because of the current landscape. Because remember, we're also all being told right now, you can't have this, you can't have this, you can't have this, you can't collect all the data, third-party data is not going to happen. So everyone's freaking out and collecting as much as they can now to not do anything with it later. So (laughs) how, you know, when you already have the purpose and you already have the current, and you have the current environment atmosphere that we have with everyone kind of, not unsure about what's going to be happening. How are we guide how should we be guiding our clients through that, right? Or or how should a CMO be approaching that? They're freaking out about privacy. How what how is data affected? You know, I I think there are just so many unknowns and it makes, like you mentioned earlier, the control element even worse. So 
I, I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but I'm seeing a lot of this like hoarding mentality now. And which is probably not good <laughs> for anyone using any sites that are doing that. But how can we address that overall kind of uncertainty? And how can we make people more comfortable about that and what's currently going on while they're trying to understand what their data should be doing for them? <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping for Russell to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a big one. Like. I I was going to say, if there's an answer to this, I don't think you'd be on this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, leave it to me to ask the big questions. It doesn't have. We don't need an I, answer. I, I think we. I think we can. Like um, one thing you mentioned that 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 stuck with me is, so you have this purpose-driven company, and you know a lot of it they get, but then there's this disconnect somewhere down the line, right? So, and I think that disconnect will always be there, right? Because uh, so let's you know. Take whatever kind of cheesy purpose line a, a company has, right? But in the in the end, when you come to the day-to-day nitty-gritty of operating and delivering value, like stuff needs to happen, right? So there's the and I think all all data is is like it's a tool to help you experiment with all the different, you know, parts of your execution to try to make them align with that with that purpose and that vision you have but it's not it's not going like the data itself will not bring you there it's just it's like as like i said before it's either going to help you figure out like explore an uncertain territory or it's going to help you optimize something or it's going to help you scale or execute it faster right but it's it's like the it's like the guidelines to get you somewhere but you yeah you have to figure out like okay how am i going to use it to get to that purpose and then recalibrate as you're moving right because if you know you might be going in the wrong direction but then you'll you'll figure that out but but can the purpose also help you contain it right because if you have a very clear purpose let's say it is that i don't know our podcast purpose is to unfuck marketing and make people more aware of the fact that there are alternative ways to look at things right so that doesn't that immediately refine what we use because the purpose is also driving what data points we want to be using, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I'm not sure. I'm thinking of, there. I think there definitely could be examples where you don't want to not try something, I think. Like you always want to be experimenting, right? And then, and then once you get the results from, from it, then you want to revisit if it brought you closer to where you want to be, yes or no. But I think, so... Let's let's take an example of like a, you have a big oil company and they want to go to green energy, right? If if they made that somehow their purpose and they did decided not to research anything that had to do with fossil fuels anymore, like it might exclude them from finding a way to use fossil fuels five thousand times more efficiently than now. So that might still move us towards a more green future, right? So. At, by excluding things, you you also limit w- what you can potentially find. So, I'm, I wouldn't want to like limit the ideation process, so to say. Doesn't that mean that the people who want to collect all the data might be right? Yeah, and but I, and I think there's I think there's definitely a lot of value in that, especially if you look at what 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 computers can handle and will be able to handle in the future when it comes to like processing the data. The only issue is, are we are we willing to uh, 
run the risk that the that the computer takes over humans, right? So that, that's I think that's the the main risk that that we're taking there. With, with brands, though, I think one of the issues is it's all well and good saying this is what our purpose is, but actually following through with that is the major issue that a lot of brands have. You have Google going, don't be evil for 10, 20 years, and we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. And you just see this across the board, is that brands say they have some form of purpose, that the first challenge is delivering on said purpose in everything that they do across the board. But then going more deep into data, do you think as much as collecting more data means that you can possibly get to more answers, the biggest issue I see is that not knowing what questions you want to be answering at the end because you don't know what those levers are that you can pull is the major issue. So it's not necessarily going, oh, if I had that data, I could answer this question. Well, you probably should have thought of that question in the first place. That is the same across the board, no matter what technology stack you have. And it comes back to sort of the the entire mindset that is going goes back to sort of caveman-esque, which is like, just because I've got more sticks doesn't mean my fire is going to be any bigger. Just collecting more sticks isn't going to solve the ultimate issue, which is well, what type of fire did you want to create in the first place? And what was that actually solving for? So I think that as marketers, we need to be cautious of that. And if we're aligning to a purpose for businesses, does that allow you to, is your process at the moment going to allow you to align to that to that purpose in the first place? And I think that's where you were kind of going that bit. Yeah, and I've, I was also thinking about the, the like the all-compassing data collection question, but I think we figured out laws for, you know, to to govern what we're doing, right? So you have the you have the the concept of the business that is trying to achieve something, and then the laws are like the guardrails that we as a society figure out and that we try to iterate to make sure that we I don't know move in a direction that we all agree upon, I guess. So from that perspective, you know, there's limits to what the business can do. And I think from the perspective that that would that you just gave Russell with like there could I could foresee a future that collecting all data, infinite data is the strategy to take because we figure out if we figure out ways like that machine learning can can handle that data and throw out results that are actually useful to us. Like in a sense, Google is trying to do it, right? Like in the new product, Google Analytics 4, they try to standardize as many metrics as possible. And that's all for the purpose of feeding their, I don't know what's called now, intelligence or insights, but, you know, the little nuggets of, hey, your conversion rate is going up, your, you know, something might be happening, right? And that's the most, the most rudimentary form of, of like machine learning um, that they have in there right now. But I think their, their end goal is clear. Like they... They want it to be a self-serving system that you know that 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 sees it all, and I I could see with enough data that might actually happen, but I don't. I definitely don't think we're there yet. No, and I think with within Google Analytics and and just like the premise from a marketing perspective, there is a big difference between a data warehouse, which is effectively what any analytics business needs to work within, which is there are predefined fields that we are going to populate with a preset volume of metrics and dimensions versus what the 
wider data community is looking into, which is data lakes and lake houses, which is a way more unstructured data set. That's where I think we're, we're sort of going with this, but we're also running out of time. So I think we can leave that for another time. Rick, could you just, again, give us information about where we can find you on the internet or where the, the listeners and, and viewers can find you on the internet? Yeah, sure. I'm active on, on Twitter and LinkedIn, Rick Dronkers. And I host a podcast on a topic that we didn't touch today, but uh, all about GDPR and its effects on uh, on digital marketing and digital analytics. So that's called the Life After GDPR podcast, which you and can that's find. on Spotify and exactly. everywhere you can all find this places. one as well. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to Marketing and Fat and Life After the G- GDPR. Thank you very much for listening and watching. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.